When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the Celtic Soul Podcast with me, Andrew Millen. And as always, you're very welcome. Episode 15 already. My guest on the show today will be former Ireland goalkeeper and Arsenal goalkeeping coach Jerry Payton. And we will look back at Jerry's career and chat about the great legacy left by Jack Charlton, who passed away recently. This episode has been kindly sponsored by the Rose and Crown Bar, Armour Road, Belfast. Thanks to Bootsy Ross, Morph, and all the team for the continued support. Come on, boys, let's get this sorted. Lee Griffiths, I don't follow you on social media, so I'm not sure what you're supposed to have said or not said. And to Neil Lennon, don't give the tabloids and the click and bait websites any ammunition to grab sensationalised headlines. Lee, if you came back overweight, cop on. You're well paid and loved by the fans. This club stood by you. Knuckle down, get fit and get back in the team. Ten in a row. That's the season. Now what Celtic player past or present wouldn't want to be involved in that? It's not like Celtic to air dirty washing in public and I hope that they are not throwing Griff under the bus. Let's do our business in-house and let the journalists get off their lazy asses and do what journalists are paid for. Go out and research a decent story. And to the bedroom bloggers, Celtic have a rich history, a bit of research and you will have some quality content instead of trawling Twitter for headlines. Woke up this morning and all the talk is of Griff and Lenny. Instead we should be talking about French Eddie's offside decision by VR. Paddy's goal. Errors which allowed them to walk through our defence and score. A bit of sharpness and Ryan Christie could have had a hat-trick. Or how lively Ballangal looked when he came on after a full change in personnel during the second half. The result was not important. The important thing is fitness and keeping the players injury-free as we prepare for the season ahead. I watched the game on TV. Sure, I would have loved to be there in France. A pre-season tour something in local cuisine and having a few beers with my mates. But it was on the couch for now with Henrik, my dog, for company. Next up, Lee on Saturday. And I'm looking forward to a few beers and another worthwhile exercise for the players. But hopefully we can get back inside the stadium soon because it just ain't the same watching on TV. So here's how I got on earlier when I spoke to Jerry Payton from his home in Japan. Jerry Payton played over 600 games in the English Football League, playing the majority of his career with Bournemouth and Fulham. 
after starting at Burnley. He also played 23 times for Ireland and was part of Jack Charlton's squad that qualified for the Euros in 88 and Italian 90 World Cup. Since retiring from playing, he has forged out a career in goalkeeping coaching with Arsenal and Arsene Wenger, and he is currently coaching in Japan. Hi, Jerry. You're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. How's life in Japan and what has the lockdown been like over there? Are you still playing football or is it behind closed doors? We're playing now and it is, but we're behind closed doors. We started the J-League three weeks ago with no crowd, but just recently they let in 5,000. So the last game, the local team is Espoz, so they had a 5,000 crowd. I think going through the lockdown in Japan, was it's been very good because everybody follows the rules. Everybody washes their hands. Everybody's got face masks on. Everybody, if you, if you say to the Japanese, you distance, we don't go to restaurants, you don't go into these anywhere inside for drinking and things like that. So I think if you look at the people that have died, uh, I think we're one of the lowest numbers in the world uh, with casualties from the coronavirus. I have a pal that lived over there, Basi, and that they actually go to the oil match. And he, he was saying the same to me. He said that they will adhere to every rule and they will come out of this quite clean because you've just backed up everything that he's told me. Yeah, they're, they're very disciplined people. And um, when, you, when you look at their history and how successful they've been, they're very hardworking, very disciplined. Uh, they follow the rule and they respect everybody. They respect, you know, respect is a big word for everybody in Japan. And, um, you know, the health system, um, when you go for an examination and everything like that, they're so thorough in everything they do. So the health system has never been um, under any stress or any problems all the way through the coronavirus. And, uh, yeah, and it's it's down to their discipline and, and how they go through their life. You know, the respect is, is fantastic and it's it's a great place to live. You coached earlier in your career in Japan as well before you, you went to Arsenal, didn't you? Yes. I went there um, I went there straight after my football career. Um, funny enough, it was Jack Charlton who actually recommended me to a job in Japan. And um, he came up to me. And, and what I used to do with the Irish team, obviously me and Packy were big friends and um, we helped each other whenever we could. We gave each other advice. And, um, you know, we, we really supported one another as goalkeepers. And then I used to go and work with work. I used to say to Jack, is it okay if I take the under 20 team or the under 18 team and go down and talk to the goalkeepers and do a little bit of goalkeeping. And then later on the years I was with the Irish squad with Jack, I think it was nine years in total with Jack and Jack, somebody rang him up one day and said, could you recommend a, a goalkeeper coach to go to Japan? He said, Oh, I've got one straight away. He said, Jerry Payton. He said, he does all the goalkeepers. He gets up in the morning, he, got, he drives down, he does the goalkeepers, then he comes back to the squad and then he plays in the five-a-side games and then he goes off. So <laughs> Jack just said, yeah, Jerry, do you fancy going over to that Japan? So I went, yeah. I said, Jack, uh, yeah, I'd be interested. I said, I'm coming to the, you know, I said, listen, I'm 36, 37 now, Jack, you know, I'm, I'm interested to go into coaching. So Jack was the the one who who was the one who sparked me going into coaching for the first time in my career. You, you named uh, you, I'm a Celtic fan, and 
you name Paggy there, Paggy's Paggy's an yeah. iconic figure within the Celtic support for the longevity he had with the club. But there's also another player that he may have caught your eye while you were in Japan, Nakamura. Nakamura, yes, of course, the one uh, the one who took the free kicks. What a great player! But do you know what? There's a lot of very talented forwards and midfield players. The Japanese churn them out. And even now, when you look at the J-League, there's many players with that talent that Nakamura, Inamoto, they've had players over the years in Europe. I mean, there's players that play in Germany now. There's about four or five Japanese that play in in Germany. And um, obviously in the Premiership, we've had good players come from Japan. So they're very good. Uh, I mean, they're very fit. Technically, very, very good and very intelligent. Very intelligent on the pitch, Japanese players. Yeah, it was Gordon Strachan that brought Nagamura to Celtic and uh, he was just, you say the free kicks, I remember a couple against Man United, absolutely brilliant. And again, it was, uh, when I go back to my pal Baz, he, he'd said to me, I'd contacted him and I said, look, we're signing a Japanese guy and he said, he's a superstar. He said, he's going he's gonna to absolutely be brilliant for us. And he was. And, and, and proved he could play when we used to play in the Champions League against the top teams. He was yeah. always he was always a standout player. But Jerry, I yeah. want to rewind to your childhood and your early career. We saw you make yeah. a debut at Burnley back in 1976, followed a yes. year when you made your debut for Ireland. Now you were born in Birmingham. Yes. Which is a history of, of immigration um, yeah. many countries, including the large Irish community. Did your parents emigrate to Birmingham? They did. Julia, my mother, she left Gladna Maddy in Galway and travelled over. And she was working in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital when she was only 17. And um, my father, Paddy, uh, Patrick Payton, he'd moved over. He'd gone over when he was 18, 19 to, I think he worked up north to start with and then ended up in Birmingham where he met my mother. And they both got married. And um, I remember when when I was growing up, we travelling back to Ireland. We'd drive over, get on the ferry, go over to Ireland. We'd, we'd go to the farm and um, we'd go to my mother's farm in Gladnamaddy in Galway. And, you know, it would just be, it was, well, straight away we had, I had five brothers and three sisters and Paddy and Julia. And um, they had one big room with a big open fireplace with a big pot cooking. And they'd put all the, all the food was was cooked in the fireplace. They had oil lamps. There was no electricity. It was all stone. And um, then there was only two rooms that went off from the main house. So there was only two little bedrooms at either side. So we were just sharing and and sleeping. You know, all the kids were together. I was 10 at the time. And um, I remember Patrick getting up early in the morning. He'd get up. He'd go to bed. As soon as it was, it was dark, and Patrick was my my uh, my mother's brother, who stayed on the farm to work with uh, my mother's mother. So he helped out with the milking, getting the crops ready, bringing in all the hay, getting the donkey out, feeding the hens, getting the eggs. So it was a very uh, a very down to earth sort of healthy life. And then um, we then we drive over to my father's place uh, in... Actually, they'd moved to Foxford, Mayo then, from Curra Krish, where my father was born. And he lived by a big river. 
with the salmon. And I remembered uh, my father and his brothers jumping in the river and throwing salmon onto the bank, you know. And they were catching the salmon as it jumped out, the, as it was jumping upstream. He, they'd catch it and throw it onto the bank. So very, uh, for me, it was very down-to-earth and um, very rural island. A big difference to Birmingham. Oh, massive difference. I mean, people wouldn't believe if you when when I went back and told them what I'd been doing all the way through the summers, and we had a couple of summers where we'd go back to Ireland and you know bring in the hay was a big and and all my brothers and uh, my father and uh, and all the brothers would be helping to bring in all the hay and put it in the big haystacks and in the barn, put it in the barn. But good, I think good manual. You know, I mean, uh, all my brothers grew up to be quite strong and quite physically strong. A good, a good solid upbringing by the sounds of things. Now, what was life like in Birmingham? Were you part of a larger Irish community? Are we, and were you aware of GAA or the, the Irish football team Like when you started to play as a child? Well, we moved, we first of all moved into Spark Hill. And Spark Hill was a big Irish community then. Then we moved from Spark Hill to Harborne. And Harborne then was a little bit upmarket. And um, we moved then from... Harborn to Sally Park. Now, when we went to Sally Park, there was a big park at the top of the road. And I used to go up the park, and then there was a lot of Irish playing Gaelic and playing different sports. And you could walk around the park. You can go and have a game of Gaelic. You could go and have a cricket. You could go and play soccer there, play soccer over there. And you'd spend the whole day going around the park and playing games. And then you'd go home. So I'd get up the park at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the morning and go home at 7 or 8 o'clock at night when it was getting dark. And cutting a long story short, I ended up playing for the Warwickshire Gaelic football team. And we used to go over to a place called Glee Farm in Birmingham. And then we went on a trip to Ireland with the Warwickshire team and we played against a few Gaelic teams in Ireland. And then as I was growing up, then I went in goal, and then up the park, uh, everybody knew who I was. I played for Kings Norton, Birmingham, Warwickshire, and then I had trials with Great Britain Catholic schoolboys, and I played for Great Britain Catholic schoolboys in the end. So my my life growing up was very sports-orientated. And then you made your debut for Bournemouth in 76. Quickly followed within a year, you're in the Irish South. That must have made your parents and, and the greater community, the Irish community in Birmingham, so proud coming home to play for the national team. My father, um, Johnny Giles, who was manager at the time, was also at West Brom. And he heard that I was living. When I was at Burnley, I made my debut against Liverpool. And um, it started, I started my career against uh, my debut, keeping a clean sheet against Liverpool. So I hit all the headlines. And um, my next game was West Ham, and we beat West Ham 2-0, and I kept a clean sheet. And then it went on from there, and I stayed in their first team, and I was 19 years of age. Johnny Giles then said, I want that boy's number. I want that boy Jerry Payton's number. And he found my father's people who knew my father in Birmingham, gave Johnny Giles the number, and he rang my father, and he said, tell Jerry, don't play for anybody else. I want him to play for Ireland. And my father rang me a couple of days. In fact, he rang me an hour later and he said, son, this will be, it's the proudest moment of my life. I want you to play for Ireland. So I said, 
Dad, no problem. No problem. Tell Johnny that I'll play for Ireland. Wow. I, I interviewed John Fallon a number of times, and John was the Celtic keeper, but um, he always wanted to play for Ireland because his, his grandfather was from Sligo, and he never got the opportunity. And still to this day, even though he's got all these championship medals and cup medals and was, was part of the Lisbon squad, he still holds it as a regret never to get to represent his country, which he, he considers Ireland. So for your father, I suppose, you know, even though it's you that's playing, it's, it's a homecoming of sorts. Oh, it was uh, massive for my father. It was massive. Uh, the stories, people have told me stories where he stood up when he went down to the local club and pointed at the television and said, that's my son. And, uh, oh, he's playing for Ireland. And he's, uh, so he's very proud. Yeah. He, and my mother too. And, um, it was, uh, it was a big honor for them. And it was special for me. I must admit it was very special all the way through. I mean, I had 16 years from when I made my debut to when I finished, I had 16 years with the Irish team. And, um, do you know what? In those 16 years, every time there was a game, you never thought about the money or anything else. You were just happy to, to go and play. And all that squad from 88, 90, every one of those players in that squad, whenever there was a game, they made sure, even when they were injured, even if they picked up a bad knock on the Saturday, they would come in on the Sunday to the hotel and say to the manager and say to the medical staff, listen, listen, I think I'll be okay for Wednesday. I'll be okay. I'll be able to run this one off. And every player made sure that they would come to an Irish game. And they, they loved to play for Ireland. That's, I must admit, I have great memories of the, the squads, you know, the different players that we had over the years. And uh, they gave everything. And, and we had a, there was a special thing about the 88 squad and the 90 squad and when it went on to 94, there was a camaraderie within the squad that just clicked together and there was a good maturity. And I, I think when you're looking at 88 and 90 and all the way through to 94, that squad, the Irish squad was picked from the top teams, the Liverpool team, the Man United team, the Chelsea team. They were picked from the top six teams in the uh, premiership. They were the top players at that time. We, it was made up from, okay, myself and other people that came in. But the, the core of the squad, the real core was, was the top players. Yeah, I interviewed, uh, or I had the pleasure of interviewing Ray Houghton one night. And on the drive down, we were driving from Dublin Airport to Port Leeds to do the show. Ray went through the team and he said, you know, it was a team of winners. He said everyone had won medals within the team. Like he said, Ronnie Whelan had won everything. He'd won European medals. And right, yeah. he said, he right there, even to the boys that were based in Scotland, they'd done a double with Celtic. And he, he, he was just so complimentary about He said, these players were used to winning. Yeah. And they knew, we all knew, when we, were, when we were going into competitions, we all knew how to look after each other, what we needed to do. Did we need to prepare in the right way, how we trained? what we ate, what we drank, how much we slept. We knew we prepared ourselves. You know, you know you'll hear a lot of stories, but to be honest, the discipline among the squad was very strong and everybody knew what they had to do. And when we went into competition, 
I remember Jack took us to uh, America one year, and we, and it wasn't a competition. It was the U.S. Cup, and uh, the boys. When it's not a where they're totally focused and they know they've got to they've got to win something, and they've got to make sure that they go back. We we knew when we went to '88. The important thing was you have to win games, and the first game. If you don't do well in your first game, then you've got you're in the massive pressure in the second game, and then the third game is over if you if if you don't do well in the first two games. So we knew every competition that we went into, the focus and the energy we gave in the early games was so important for the whole squad. And if you look at it, our success was the early games, how we, we got results. Yeah, you mentioned Jack there. Sadly, Jack's passed away. And uh, it's, it, there seems to be, a, you know, much sadness because everyone has so many memories from people who are steeped in, in football tradition to housewives to, you know, people, even GAA, staunch GAA supporters fell in love yeah. with, with soccer when Jack was in charge. So Jack, I, I suppose I can draw some comparisons to your own upbringing with, with Jack. You know, Jack was brought up in, in a working class village, uh, working class town, Newcastle. You know, his dad was down the pits. He was down the pits. So he knew he knew what the walking man was. He also stood with the miners during the strike. And you came from a farming background, your family, the farming background, and they went yeah. and they forged a life for themselves in England. Big Jack, yeah. what a success story. Uh, coming through that great Leeds team, a World Cup winner. And for the most important thing to me is how successful he was as an Irish manager. Two World Cups, qualification yeah. for the Euros. Now, you were yeah. part of this. Can you tell us about Jack in your own words from he, from he arrived until you departed the Irish setup? Yeah, when when I first I, Jack had just taken over and uh, he got the squads together and um, I played in his first game. His first game in charge of Ireland was against Wales and I played. He picked me. He said, "Listen, I want to have a look at the goalkeepers, Packy. I I know what you can do, Jerry. I want you to play." So I played in the Welsh game and I made a couple of saves. And after the game, he came to me after the Welsh game and he went, uh, and me and Packy, he took us both together and he said, listen, I'm going to pick you two to be uh, number one and number two. He said, listen, I expect you to be totally focused, totally professional the whole time. He said, if you let me down, you're gone. So we both looked at him and we went, yeah, no, fair enough, Jack. So he told you how he wanted it. He told you, this is what I want. This is what I expect. And this is what I want you to do. And um, I won't make any, if you do well, I won't make any changes. So you knew from day one exactly what Jack wanted. And although he was very straight and uh, he could cut you very quickly with his words, he was very loyal as well, you know. And once you started to get to know him and he got to know you, you started to respect this guy for his knowledge. He had fantastic knowledge of football. Fantastic. And, and when you look back in 88, uh, and if you take that competition, we heard that the England team had gone to Lillyshaw to do extra training to prepare for the European Championships. And we went to a hotel in Lucan, just outside Dublin. And um, Jack said, the Liverpool team have played 68 games. He said, Man United have played over over 60 games. You have played, how many games you played? 44 games or 50 games this season. You've played that. He said, at the end of the season, we will just, we, we will play five sides. We'll walk through the tactics 
defensive tactics, attacking tactics. We'll walk through our set plays. He said, but we will be rested before we go to Germany because all of you have had an exhausting time. Now, talking to two goalkeepers, we always want to work. So me and Packy said, Jack, can we work? And he went, I've told you, I don't want anybody working too hard. I want everybody, even the goalkeepers, even though I know you like, like to go out and you want to dive around and you want people shooting at you, I want you to rest. So after about three or four days in Lucan, me and Packy were bored. So I went up to Jack and I said, Jack, can I do some shooting? Can we have some shooting, Jack? And he went, okay, tomorrow, meet me up on the top of the hill and we'll do some shooting. So me and Packy got the gloves. We got the balls. We got all the balls. We got about 10 balls. We got dressed. We got the gloves. We got all our stuff and we're walking up to see Jack. And we got up to the top of the hill and Jack stood there. He's got Wellingtons on. He's got his flat cap on. And he's got a double-barrel shotgun. <laughs> and he's shooting clay pigeon. As we walked up to him, we went, Jack, where's the boys? Where, where's the... He said, the only shooting you two will be doing today. He said, grab that double-barrel shotgun over there and shout, pull. But that's Jack, you know? Jack had his way. And that's why he was loved. You know what I mean? He had a, a nice way about him. And... His way was the only way. Yeah, I, I, be- I believe so. Like, Jack had so much talent to pick from, you know, Ronnie Whelan, Liam Brady, Paul McGrath. That's just three yeah. of the finest. But he, Jack had a system, and he wanted everyone to play that system. And it was so successful. Yeah. So there could be no debate. His way was the right way to go. Exactly. And, and I think some of the stats, you know, I got some stats from the 90 World Cup. I think we were the only team in the whole of the World Cup who'd lost the ball the least in midfield. I think the stats were unbelievable. That it was something like we gave two balls away and then through the whole World Cup, we lost two balls in midfield in the whole World Cup and never gave a ball away. And and that was through Jack. Jack's biggest thing was about not risking the ball, but if you can imagine his tactics... He had players like Ronnie Whelan, Liam Brady, and then later on Andy Towns and Ray Houghton, John Aldridge, Cascarino, Quinney, Sheeds, uh, Kevin Sheedy. What a player he and was. What a great great player Kevin Sheedy was. And when you look, Paul McGrath, and then you can go through Dave O'Leary, Kevin Moore, and all, all these, and then the, the fullbacks, Dennis Irwin, what a fullback he was. Uh, and you can go on and on. But he had some of the greatest players who'd ever played in the Premiership, playing a game, and he said, right, I want you to play this way. So all of those players could play through midfield and could play touch football where you kept it 50 or 60 times. Now, if you ask them, instead of overpassing, I want you to pass there, there, there and there. But the system with the talent that he had, they could play on 10 passes in midfield without giving it away and then go forward, or they could play on six passes and then go forward. So the brilliance of of what Jack done with the players that he had was nobody knew when it was coming forward because they were so good. It wasn't as direct as everybody thought it was. We could play when we had to play. And if we wanted to play, we could play. We had, he had great players. Uh, and, you know, I would never take away from the Irish squad. They were very skillful. You know, they were, they were a good team and good players. 
And when you look at the results over the against probably the, the best Dutch team that ever was in 88 that won the European Championships, against us, they had tough games. Indeed, they had, yeah. I've heard Johnny George say it was Jack's way or the highway. I've heard Liam Brady yeah. saying when, when he heard Jack was getting the job that he didn't believe he'd be part of the team because of the football he played. David O'Leary, people thought he should have been in the team, but Jack picked his team. Jack had his men. Did he have any favourites? Jack, I don't... I'll be honest with you. Jack, Jack was so... He was so straight in what he wanted. He just made demands on people. This is what I want. And um, I think... I'll be honest. I think he loved... He, Jack actually was caring and nice to most of us. If you stepped over the line, he'd let you know. Jack would let you know straight away, hey, listen, that's unacceptable. You don't go, you don't step over there. You don't do that. You have to do it this way. But he loved to joke. He loved to play cards with the boys. And I think I can speak for the whole squad that was involved with Jack. We all really loved him as a man, you know, as a person, uh, his character, how he was. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say a bad word. Ah, brilliant. And he obviously had good man management skills as well, you know, because Gary Kelly, who's a local boy, he ran from Drawd, and Gary's the local boy that, you know, that had such success in his career. Gary had, had posted on social media when Jack passed away that he was like a second dad. And because obviously Gary's dad died when Gary was at Leeds, and he said he was like a second dad. And obviously he must have at some stage, put the armour and Big Paul McGrath. He needed a bit of loving as well. I'm sure his management skills were, were up there with the best. Yeah, Paul, I mean, I don't want to say anything because Paul was a great player and, and great within the Irish squad. And he was, a, he was a very important player for the Irish team. And we all got round Paul and, and, and Jack got round Paul um, a lot of times and, and had to deal with things. And um, But... I don't want to say too much uh, negative because Jack handled the squad, for me, unbelievable. Because you had different characters in the squad. You had people he had to dig out. He had people that he could just leave alone and uh, low maintenance, high maintenance. But that was another skill of Jack. He knew how to handle people. And I remember um, going into him one day. Um, I'd just come back from Iceland. Uh, we, we we played in Iceland. We, we won the tournament. We played against Czechoslovakia, and now it's the Czech Republic now. And uh, I remember um, Ludo McClesko was playing in goal for them, and uh, we, we, we won the tournament in Iceland. It was the first tournament we've ever won. It was before 88. And um, I'd played in two games, and Packy had played in two games. And um, I remember coming back, and I said to Jack one day, I said, Jack, do you think there's any chance of me, you know, because I wanted to play for Ireland. And I said, is there any chance of me playing, Jack? And he went, well, Jerry, he said, if I pick you, Packy would be disappointed. And if I picked Packy, you're disappointed. So he said, you're going to be disappointed. And that was Jack, you know? Yeah. Simple. What could you say? I walked away and I thought, well, he's, <laughs> I can see what he says. Whoever he wants in goal, will go in goal. And that's it. And you have to uh, get on with it. And he expects you to go with the right in a supporting role, to give encouragement, to make sure that the energy within the squad is the right energy as well. He doesn't want people sulking. He doesn't want people feeling sorry for themselves and sucking energy away from the team. So he wants people around who, who are 
enthusiastic. He wants them to encourage the, the boys. And he liked the fact that the boys were all together when, you know, whoever played went in, done the stuff, and we got results. And, and I think he was very um, conscious that from 1 to 22 or 1 to 24, everybody was important in his squad because he knew at some stage you're going to use number 22 or number 24 will have to be used at some stage when you're going through World Cups and European Championships uh, qualifiers. So he made sure he kept everybody on board. And in them qualifiers and the big games, is it true that Jack would get the Irish ballads played on the bus on the way to the, on the way to Lansdowne to get us he, up for the games? He would always do that because he knew how important the culture was. He knew how important that the are the ballads and the singers. Even you know when we used to go away later. I mean, a lot of the Irish singers, the the Dubliners and and uh, Murphy used to come over. There was. There was a lot of Irish singers used to be hanged around the squad then. And I mean, I remember you too came over to Italy. You, you too was, but they tried to come to our hotel later on after the, um, the Italian game, the quarterfinal game. But there were so many people wanting to see you too. They couldn't get out of the hotel. So you could have had Bono singing for you. <laughs> it was an amazing journey that everybody was on with Jack. And, and I, love, I love your honesty, Jerry. That's all we want out of these podcasts is honesty. And you were honest enough to say, I went to Jack and he said, No, Packy's me number one. Even to be part of the squad, Jerry, just shows how proud you were to, oh. be, to be part of Orange. You, did, you didn't walk off in the huff. And I'm sure when you put the jersey on, you gave 100%. There were okay. so many highs and lows campaigns and more highs than lows because obviously when you're beaten, it's disappointing. For me, Jack Chantler arrived when we qualified for the Euros. And Ray put the ball in the England net in Stuttgart. That's just such an iconic moment. And then the penalty shootout against Romania in Italy. Did you get a chance to talk to Packy before he went in? Yeah, I have a book. And, and Packy talks about it in the book before the Romania game. We roomed together, me and Packy. So I was the older goalkeeper and Packy was younger than me. And Packy would ask me things. And I'll be honest, I've been coaching and thinking about the the game for a long time. So we talked about what sort of angle would a right foot to take if you wanted to put the ball in the left-hand side of the goal or the right-hand side of the goal. So I said to Pecky, if he comes all the way to the left of the ball and he's kicking with his right foot, you know now with his right foot, he can't miss the goal on your right now because his shoulder is pointed right inside that post. And as he comes across with his right foot now, he knows that when he comes with his right foot, it will go straight inside that post on his left, on your right. So I said, if he takes that angle, it's going to go there. Now, if he walks up straight with the ball and he lines up with the stanchion on the left-hand side of the goal, so Packy's left-hand side, and he lines up just straight with the ball and he comes running in. A lot of them open their foot at the last minute and they, they go with a, quite a long run and open their foot and they put it straight inside Packy's left-hand post, so the other post. So we, we've gone through how you stand, what foot you take it with, and what would your body angle be. So we discussed that before the game. And, and we came to a conclusion that if he goes really left of the ball and he's kicking with his right foot, it would go to Packy's right-hand side. So when we came away, 
Packy had that in his mind. He had that in his mind. If he takes that stance, I'm going to go to my right. And the the, the player that he saved, Packy was already on his way. And when I ran onto the pitch, he said to me, we knew it. We knew it. I knew I was going to save this. I knew it. As soon as he stood there, I was going to save it. But, you know, I think that's goalkeepers. We we go into little details and we're very fine details and we think about we try and think about everything because that's just how goalkeepers are. There must have been some relief and some celebrations that evening after that game. Oh, do you know what? Even though we were really, I mean, it was unbelievable because we, we knew after the game we were going to the quarterfinal of the World Cup against Italy and we're going to Rome. So... You never wanted to go overboard because we still thought we could win. We could win this game and go on to the semifinals. So a lot of us were, there was a lot of joy and a lot of celebrating, but we never got carried away. We thought, no, come on, let's focus on the next game because we're going to go. But Rome was unbelievable because to have an audience with the Pope and what was very unbelievable for me and Paggy, the Pope actually asked, where are the goalkeepers? Where are the portiers? Where are they? And you could see one of the cardinals pointing to me and Packy, and the Pope walks straight towards us. And then he reaches over and he, he, he shakes my hand and he shakes Paddy's hand at the same time. And he, he just reached in. He said, listen, I was a goalkeeper in Poland. And that's where that story, the funny story that uh, Andy Townsend tells, that Jack tells after the, it- the it- Italy game. The Pope came and and had a few words and you could see uh there was something special when when the pope walks towards you you just you feel uh me and packy we both said the same we you feel the hairs on the back of your neck standing on end and you and you see this man this man who is who represents love and peace and traveled the world for peace and and a fantastic man coming to greet you, you know, it was a special moment for both me and Packy. We we both said, oh, it's unbelievable. And to find out he was an actual goalkeeper was unbelievable for us. Yeah, and coming from an Irish, you know, traditional Irish household uh, where religion is very important, I know it's very important to my parents. Um, it, it must have been, you know, as you say, some experience, it must be very humbling, but it, it must have been such a buzz as well for your family and the sea. There's well, a big boy meeting the Pope. Well, I'll tell you now, I went home to my mother and my father and I said, look, there's a picture of me with the Pope. They said, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't, my mother. Well, when you go up to my mother's and my father's bedroom, there's four statues all the way across the windowsill. And then there's the, the picture of Christ with his heart open. And then you've got the, uh, you've got the cross on the other wall. So, it's it's like a church when you go into the bedroom anyway, and I think that was that was most of the Irish families then. You know, every Sunday you go to church, every holy day you're going to go to church. You don't eat meat on a Friday; it's fish, it's this. So, I agree with you, Andrew. The Irish were very, very. Uh, I mean, the Catholic faith then was was yeah. It was they done everything. Everything was about the church, the priests. It was a special. It was special for me and my family. And still today, I still have the photo in my house of me meeting the Pope. Unbelievable. Now, obviously we wanted to speak with Jack, but I want to ask you about another manager that you worked with, um, because I suppose yeah. the chalk and cheese and total opposites. 
if Jack was a traditionalist with the long ball, Wenger was a, a cultured footballing manager. You worked with Arsenal at Arsenal. Yeah. He made the likes of Tony Adams and all these players. He kept them extra years of their career because of, he basically told them if they kept drinking and partying, they were going to shorten their career and it was a short career. And he, he molded that team into a winning team and then he brought in these fabulous French players. What was it like with Wenger, like coming from, say, the traditional managers you'd played under, coming into work with Wenger? Was he bringing something completely new? Well, when you look at the game, the, the actual game uh, that Arsene wanted everybody to play, and and he was a perfectionist in terms of uh, the but- keeping the ball on the floor, the passing, the, the speed of the ball, the speed of your decision-making, your movement, when to move, the timing of your movement when you're going forward, the timing of the ball, the precision of when you're attacking and when you're arriving in the 18-yard box and the technique and things like that. And then the awareness of where people are, knowing what your, what your next pass is and things like that. But when you put all that together, Arsene was a, a purist and his game was, uh, I think, everybody... It was an entertainment to watch Arsenal play with uh, Arsene. It was, you know, it was beautiful football, beautiful goals. It was classy. And I think Jack, for his knowledge, I mean, both were very loyal. When you look at both the characters, both were very honest and loyal. Jack was very loyal and honest to all his players and and would do anything for his players and, and same with Arsene. They both believed in how they wanted to play, and they got success. So in a lot of ways, for me, they were very, very similar uh, people as players looking at them, and they got respect. They got big respect because of how they were and how they treated people. Arsene would go through your We would have blood tests every year. He'd, He'd make sure that the players had the right vitamins, were eating the right things made sure that their programs were correct, their exercises and things like that. Now, Jack, because he was an international manager, didn't have to do all that. those things. Jack would, could leave that because he was taking them after the clubs. They played, like I said before, 65, 70 games a season. And so he was in a situation where he wanted to rest the players and uh, look after them in a, in a different way, which is also good for the clubs. But Arsene was, he wanted, both of them wanted a way of playing football that they both became successful. I think the only thing I could look as a positive for Arsene is Arsene's way of playing probably developed more players. If you look at how many Arsenal players since Arsene was at Arsenal went to Barcelona, I think it's 10 or 12 players from Arsenal over the Overmars. Thierry Henry, Song, Vermaelen. We had a few midfield players who went to Barcelona. So I think over the years, about eight, nine players from Arsenal have gone. And and also we, we sold players for big money over the years, where with Ireland, maybe we didn't develop the, the beautiful game at times because we had all the boys who played the game were already mature players. So the Ronnie Whelans, like we've said, they'd already won championships. Ray Houghton had won medals. 
John Aldridge, Paul McGrath had been at Man United, had come through Man United, won the FA Cup. So most of our players, uh, Andy Townsend coming in and Roy Keane later on and Dennis Irwin coming in and, and the whole thing just kept going. But we had great players. But they could play any game, you know what I mean? They were already developed and could play any game. So that would be the only thing I would, I would say, that maybe for development reasons, the, pure, the purest in football, like Arsene, would probably come out on top with, with the development. You seem to have learned so much from Jack, and even though they were, you know, there were small pockets of weeks or days that you were with him, and obviously he recommended you for a coaching job, which got you on your way which then led you yeah. to coach with Arsene. So Jack has played, played his part uh, maybe more than you thought when he came to Ireland Force. Just a couple of quick yeah. ones, right? When yeah. you came into the Irish setup in yeah. the 70s, we hadn't qualified for any major tournaments. Was it a sense no. of, this is just like, we're just playing for Ireland, you know, we're not going to qualify. Or was there true belief there? Or was it amateurish? Or what, what was the noticeable thing when Jack came in? I think, well, when I first came to the Irish squad, Johnny Giles was manager. So, and Johnny was, uh, well, we all know, he was at Man United he was, and, and probably Leeds, he was most famous. And then he went to, to manage West Bromwich Albion. But Johnny Giles came to the Irish setup to make it professional. And um, his ambition then was to take the Irish team to a major competition. Uh, and, and if you look at it, Johnny tried to play, tried to play from the back, uh, Liam Brady. I mean, when you when you look at Jarsey at that time, remember then, Lansdowne Road was a rugby stadium. And the rugby stadium, they left the grass, they'd leave the grass long uh, for the rugby because it, was, it wasn't a football stadium. It was a rugby stadium. And Jarsey was, would always moan the pitch. You have to have short grass for us to play our football and the ball run smoothly and things like that so and there'd always be a strong wind coming down the pitch and and things so when Jarsey wanted to play a purist game um, uh, playing from the back because Jarsey wanted Brady to go down and get the ball and Jarsey would ask him to get the ball he wanted the goalkeepers to roll the ball out and and build from the back and play through midfield and then go on and attack I think I can only speak but Jarsey I thought was on the right lines at that time. But I think there was so much against him uh, at that time because asking for the rugby stadium, the grass to be cut really short. And then the rugby boys would just say, well, hang on, we don't, pl- we don't, we, we want the grass a bit longer because, you know, it's a different game. We're, we're playing, we're, we're just throwing the ball. You know what I mean? So I think John had uh, the short straw in a way, you know, uh, and then after after John, Owen Hand came in and uh, Owen done his best to try and get to turn it round. And I think we were unlucky. We went through a very unlucky time then because Alan Kelly took over for one game, uh, Switzerland, and then said, listen, I can't do it. And he, he gave a reason that he, he was walking away and then Owen ended up taking it. But I think with Jarsey, we, we nearly qualified. We had... Uh, quite strong squads. I remember when we played the French team in the Parc de Prance, uh, we lost 2-1 to one of the best French teams with uh, Jean Tagana, the midfield player, Platini. For me, uh, 
one of the greatest midfield players I've ever seen, Platini. And that French team was found. And I played that night. I remember playing in Paris that night. And uh, Platini scored uh, at the far post. But we were a very close squad of players to qualifying. But we never actually got it over the line until Jack came. And I think Jack Jack's way was he got everybody to play his way. And that, that's why I say with Arsene, Arsene knew what he wanted and Jack knew what he wanted. And both, both knew exactly how to be successful. So Jack was the first one to unite everybody. You know, it was... And I think qualifying for the European Championships after that, it just gave us a belief that we could do it. Oh, brilliant. Jerry, finally, um, I used to walk with a lad, Damien Lynch, and his uncle was Charlie O'Leary. And he used to tell me some stories about him. And he was so proud of him. He was the Irish kit man, especially yeah. the iconic picture with the Pope. What was Charlie like? like some Charlie. great stories of a kit man. Oh, Charlie, we have some great stories. In 1990, we went to Malta and um, we went there for, we had two games, I think, in Malta. And um, Charlie was in the swimming pool one day and he was stood in the swimming pool up to his neck with water. And one of the, uh, one of the newspaper guys from the mirror, he said, Charlie, he said, uh, is it deep? He said, well, it's up to my neck. And the, the guy from the mirror dived in and he hit his head on the bottom, <laughs> with a big cut on his head. And then Charlie got out of the pool. <laughs> And he was a small, you know, everybody knew Charlie was small. Yeah. <laughs> so the guy who never knew Charlie, but uh, but Charlie, no, great. And you know, um, the lads used to say Charlie's the real manager of the Irish team. And um, one day, uh, Jack came in. He went, "What's this about Charlie's being the manager?" He said, "Well, Jack, you haven't picked the team before we go to Lansdowne Road." But Charlie's given out all the shirts and all the shirt numbers. <laughs> <for his life>. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Jerry, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, unfortunately, I want to thank you for taking time out. And I know it's late in Japan. Chat, but for giving myself and the listeners, more importantly, an insight on what it was like on the inside of Jack Charlton's yeah. army. It's just been brilliant, you know. And we, didn't, we didn't even get to speak about you, you know, your, your, your club career yeah. where you you won the league with Bournemouth and, you know, yeah. two two years in a row, I think you were player of the year in the division. So yeah. it's been absolutely brilliant, but I will have to wrap it up. But hopefully maybe sometime again, you'll come on the podcast and chat to us again. No problem, Andrew. No problem at all. Listen, I do the, what, wish you the best of luck in Japan and with the rest of your career. And we'll talk, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, please do, Andrew. Listen, good luck to you. Take care. And may Jack rest in peace. And may Jack, God bless Jack. Thanks to Jerry for taking time out to chat to me today. It was nice to pay tribute to Big Jack and get an insight into being part of the Birmingham Irish community and the wider Irish diaspora. Thanks once again to everyone who has visited our website, SaltLakeFanzine.com and bought some of the merchandise or picked up a fanzine. We will continue to deliver twice-weekly free podcasts and free news and historical articles on the website without Google adverts and we've also resisted the temptation to sign up for podcast adverts which interrupt the podcasts. We want to control who advertises on our platforms and keep our content completely independent and fan driven. Not by big business offering us white teeth, false tan or a chance to join the army and see the world. No thanks. 
We are currently working on a new app and improvements to the website, and we are also creating a new supporters area. More news on that over the next few weeks. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for your continued support. The podcast is available on all platforms. Hit the subscribe or follow buttons and you will never miss an episode. Alternatively, you can visit celticfanzine.com forward slash podcast forward slash where you will find every episode to listen to. If you are enjoying the podcast, visit our YouTube channel, Celtic Fanzine TV, where you will find Celtic AM live interviews from Malone's Glasgow and an in-depth interview with Irish international's Gary Kelly. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, where we will have offers on merchandise and a couple of competitions over the next few weeks. Thanks again to our sponsor, the Rose and Crown Armour Road, Belfast. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club would like to sponsor an episode, please get in contact. You can email us, info at celticfanzine.com. As always, thanks to our producer, Ron McQuillan. Thank you so much for the positive feedback. Keep the comments coming in and don't forget to let us know your story or who you would like to get onto the podcast. Travel restrictions have not been lifted, so no trip to Leon or Paris to watch the boys, but I will be watching on TV with Celtic fans around the globe and interacting on social media. Not the same, but better than nothing. I hope you enjoyed the show and enjoy our weekend. The pubs are not back open this weekend and I was looking forward to it, but I can wait a little longer and I still have the option of a few points if I take a meal. Keep the faith and stay safe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.